Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, take our lives. Let it be so molded with your grace that people see Jesus. Take our gifts, take all that you have, and bless it to your glory. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Patty Connolly, one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to share Scripture and the Word with you this morning. We're going to talk about personal holiness, and what I'd like to do beforehand is review, as a former teacher of mine would say, let's review what we have learned. So John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. Could I have that picture up here? See, here he is. <laughs> I love bobbleheads, sorry. <clears throat> Here, you hold John. Would you hold John? Thank you. <laughs> he was created the Methodist Church accidentally because he used what he called methods to get a closer relationship with God. And these methods are scripture-based, and they involve discussions of grace, practices of grace. Now, grace is basically a merited favor. For example, if you are speeding and a police officer pulls you over and gives you a ticket, that's justice. If this police officer pulls you over because you are speeding and gives you a warning, that's mercy. But if this police officer pulls you over because you are speeding and gives you a cinnamon roll, that's grace. That is unmerited favor, something we do not deserve. Now, Ed has talked to us for the last three Sundays on cinnamon rolls. Excuse me, that's grace. So let's review a little bit. Provenient grace, that's grace all around us. Remember the analogy of the porch where you come in, you might look in the windows, you might see something I'm interested in, or just drop a box or a package off. But it may be something you want to pursue, but it's your decision to go through that door. And going through that door is justifying grace. When you begin a relationship with the owner of the house, you could sit by the fireplace, you could enjoy some coffee, and have some conversation with that owner, which is God. And after the conversations, you might like what you see. So you decide to move closer in that relationship. Sanctifying grace is staying overnight at the house, having dinner, getting to know the owner and his family. You grow the relationship and learn. You become a good friend. It's a growing experience that lasts your entire life, and it is life-changing. So let me give you an example. When Ken and I started dating, we had a total of two real dates before we got married. Now, you'll quit your laughing. Before you say you married that man on two dates, he explains a lot as he says, uh, let me explain it to you. You see, I had two children, Kathy and Adam, from a previous marriage. 
He had three children, Leah, Matthew, and Michael, from his previous marriage. So our dates were picnics with two kids, three kids, or five kids. We went to movies, we had popcorn night, we, we just did time together. That's how the relationship built, and that's what our family was all about. Now, believe me, there was a lot of grace going on while we, when we did these things, but uh, we've lasted 34 years, haven't we, dear? <laughs> and now we're empty nesters. Yes. Anyway, <clears throat> so <laughs> sanctifying grace has many aspects. And today we're going to talk about personal holiness. Next week, Ed's going to share about social holiness, how faith and grace manifests itself in the world. But today we're going to talk about personal holiness how we grow, how we change to look more like Jesus. So let's do our scripture. If you put that on the screen. And I chose the message today because it explains itself. First Peter 1, 13 to 16. Now roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into the way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is one of the many passages John Wesley used to show us that God commanded us to be holy. So how do we do this process of holiness? John Wesley believed there were two aspects, inward and outward, personal and social. Today, we're going to talk about personal. In the book, John Wesley, Holiness of Heart and Life, the author says, personal holiness involves commitment to God and centering one's life completely on God. It includes believing in, trusting, loving, worshiping, imitating, and enjoying God. Inward holiness is impossible without God's grace. And this holiness has to do with examining our lives, repenting of our sins, and cultivating the gifts of the Spirit in us. So how do we do this? Wesley defined these ways that we can do this, or our tasks to mature in holiness, as works of piety. Now, piety means quality of being religious or reverent. Another de definition is basically being devout. These works of piety John Wesley defined in Sermon 92. Now, he published 132 sermons, but he spoke thousands of sermons that were not published. And he defined these works as reading and hearing the word, public, family, and private prayer, 
receiving the Lord's Supper or communion, which we're going to do this morning, and fasting or abstinence. These were accomplished both by personal devotional time of prayer and reading of scripture, time with the family to share the word and prayer, and in the congregational setting by hearing the word, public prayer, and receiving communion. Works of piety are practices of worship and devotion that God provides us. They are modeled by Jesus, and they draw us to God and keep us in God's company. I'd like to share with you his direction for scripture reading, and they'll be on the screen to help you. The first one is set apart a little time in the morning and evening every day and read a chapter from the Old and New Testament. Read with a single purpose, to know the will of God. Look for the connections beneath the passage of Scripture being read and the fundamental ideas of Christian faith. Step four, prayerfully seek the guidance and instruction of the Holy Spirit as you read it. Number five, resolve to put into practice what God teaches you in your reading and study. John Wesley believed that corporate Bible study was also important, and that's what we do here. He believed we benefited from hearing the word preached as well as personal time. So, now before you say, oh, really? This was this guy's job, okay? Let's talk about a little bit about John Wesley. John had two failed romances and one failed marriage, and he was single most of his life with no children. So we cannot take advice of romance from Mr. John Wesley, but we can take advice on living a Christian life. He got up at four in the morning and spent four hours of reading scripture, prayer, and journaling. Then he spent the rest of his day preaching and meeting in groups that he called bands. So what is a person supposed to do who has a job, who has a family, or children, or all of it? I want to share with you what his mother did, Susanna Wesley. There she is. <laughs> Susanna gave birth to 19 children, you, whoa, and 10 survived, including John and Charles, the famous hymn writer. Her husband, Samuel, was John's father, was a priest in the Anglican Church, as was later his oldest, Samuel Jr., John, and Charles. Now, Susanna raised these children by herself, as Samuel Sr. was busy attending to his parish. And she was known to spend two hours a day in prayer and scripture reading. So how did she do this with 10 kids? Well, she went to her favorite chair in the kitchen with her Bible and her journal and took her large white apron and put it over her head. Kids and dad both knew you do not 
interrupt Mama when she had that apron over her head. And how did she do, what did she do with this knowledge? She taught Bible studies and she preached when Samuel Sr. could not be available in the parish. She also led a lot of prayer groups. Now, I'm not recommending to you that you get a large apron and put it over your head because of a feeling they might, you know, think. But let me share with you what Ken and I did. Ken is an early riser. So he got up at 5.30 in the morning and did his quiet time before the kids got up. When I got up, he and I both got the kids ready for school and we both went off to work. In the evening was my time. And after the kids got settled and everybody was in their rooms or in bed, then that was my time to have my quiet time. Now, I would close the bedroom door, and if I heard a, they got a real rude, go ask your father. But that's how we do it, and today we do it together. But he still gets up earlier because he makes me coffee. Good man. <laughs> Yay, you. <laughs> Another work of piety is asking yourself each day, where you saw God? Where did you represent God? And where did you fail to represent God? John Wesley created these questions for his club called the Holy Club that he and John and Charles formed. And the Holy Club was a group of young men who attended Oxford, and they met three to four days a week just to check in. They were dedicated to scripture reading, prayer, and meeting together, as well as feeding the poor, visiting the lonely, the homebound, and those in jail. Sounds like something we do today, doesn't it? There were 22 questions, and I would like to show you just eight of them, but these gentlemen went through these every day. The first one is, am I honest in all my works and all my acts, or do I exaggerate? Number two, can I be trusted? Number three, did the Bible live in me today? Number four, do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Number five, do I pray about the money I spend? Number six, how do I spend my spare time? And number seven, am I proud? Look at number eight. Do I grumble or complain constantly? These are just some of the 22 questions, and they involve a lot of soul searching. And after these questions, there was usually prayer and confession, as well as thankfulness. They had a new day to try again. Now, I want to share another word about John's personal life. Did you wonder if he ever had questions with his standing with God? Did he ever question his assurance of God, that God was with him? Yes, to both. 
In May of 1738, John Wesley experienced a time of spiritual renewal known as his Aldersgate experience. It was during a revival. And a preacher was expounding about Romans, and Wesley was said to have felt his heart strangely warmed to the point that he had full assurance that Christ had taken away his sins and that he, Wesley, could trust God. However, only seven months later, both John and Charles would experience depression where they did not believe that God loved them or that they had the assurance of faith he previously experienced. John Wesley stated in his journal, I affirm I am not a Christian now, for a Christian is one who has the fruits of the Spirit of Christ, which are love, peace, and joy. But these I have not. And I feel this moment I do not love God, which therefore I know because I feel it. In other words, at that time, Wesley could not feel he was loved by Christ, even though by his faith he knew he, that he was. You see, just like John Wesley, we go through different moods where life doesn't seem to add up and we wonder where God is and if God still loves us. It could be after you read those 22 questions. Or it may be that day just wasn't what we planned or wanted it to be. But as Wesley found out, the source of assurance is not within ourselves because we know our moods vary. The divine promise found in Scripture and declared in Christ Jesus is more dependable than our human feelings. One of John Wesley's favorite texts was 1 John 3, verse 20. When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Let me say that again. 1 John 3, 20. When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. By growing in grace and works of piety, these promises will instruct and correct our emotions. These practices of prayer, scripture reading, fasting, worship, and Holy Communion help us to become more confident in what we believe and hold true. I want to close with our scripture again today. And as I told you, I chose the message. The message is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, because the reason I use this is because John Wesley had a slang. He said, I want to get plain truth to plain people. And I don't know about you, but I'm a plain person. I like it said straight out. First Peter 1, 15 to 16. So roll up your sleeves. Get your head in the game. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know better then, but you do now. 
As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. Now that we have the tools, are we ready to get a, our head in the game? Are we ready to begin moving to a life of holiness? May it be so, Lord. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Lord, we have heard your word. We have heard your instructions. We pray that you would build them deep into our hearts. We want to look more like you every day, Lord. Help us to take those steps. Help us to do those works of piety that we may look like you. Amen.